You don't have to be a prophet today to recognize that we live in hazardous days. We are seeing right before our eyes how cherished biblical values seem to be crumbling. We are seeing with our own eyes how the world seemed to be adrift in an ocean of doubt and uncertainty. We are watching how our society seemed to be in a state of ethical shock. We are seeing right in front of our own eyes how familiar social orders are now disintegrating. We are seeing how moral chaos seemed to be threatening our future as a culture. We are watching how sexual anarchy seemed to be prevailing. We are watching how mass insanity seemed to be threatening our very sanity. And yet I want to tell you that in the midst of all of this, God is in control. That Jesus is still on the throne. In the midst of all of this, I am here to announce that God is taking His elect through His own training program. In the midst of all this, God is teaching His believers the hard lesson of love and loyalty in the midst of hatred. In the midst of all of this, God is calling His own to stand up and to stand out. That in the midst of all of this, God is teaching His bride, the church, the art of ruling, the art of reigning. Through the agape love. And I want to tell you that agape love cannot be learned unless there is brokenness and humility before God. Today's message is a similar scenario to our day. If you look at it carefully, examine the text, you're going to find there were days unlike our days where David was at this point of his life. He was surrounded by his enemies. He was hunted down by those who hated him. He was maligned by those who were enemies of God's purpose. He was ridiculed by the very nation that he saved. He was betrayed by the very people whom he tried to help. Yet... I want you to watch this text very carefully with me of how at this point of his life, David totally trusted in God. He did more than this, as we're going to see in this passage of 1 Samuel 24. He was doing more than just trusting in God. David receives a golden opportunity to fulfill his dreams, to fulfill his aspirations. Yet he refused to grab it. Why? Because it was not God's timing. You see in this text, David gets an opportunity of a lifetime. Handed to him on a silver platter. Here it is, David. But he refused to take it. Why? Because it wasn't God's timing. It wasn't God's way. David finds himself with a rare chance to grab the throne of Israel. And to sit on the throne and get into the royal palace. But he wouldn't touch it at this point in his life. Why? Because David knew that our times are in his hands. My last message I concluded with 1 Samuel twenty-three fourteen. Saul 
pursued David every single day. But the Lord delivered David not to his hand. And today David gets the opportunity to kill Saul. Saul has been wanting to kill David for so many months, for so many years. Now David gets that opportunity to kill Saul, but he refuses to do it. Why? Because God's champion exercises loyalty and love, not revenge. I know it is difficult to receive injury from others without feeling resentment. I know that it is hard to be unfairly treated, to be unjustly treated, without becoming cynical and without becoming bitter. I know. I know it is a problem for love to triumph above unkindness, to triumph above ingratitude. To triumph above misunderstanding, above injury, above abuse, above rejection, and above grief. I know that. But God's champions, those who are Jesus Christ, who belong to Him, have supernatural power to grow out of these difficulties, to win over these hardships. They have supernatural power to live above and beyond the circumstances. James said in James 1-2, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of any kind. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. David knew that he was destined for the throne. He knew that. At the age of 16, he was anointed by Samuel, the prophet. He knew that God called him. Even Saul, as you see in this particular passage, acknowledged that. He knew that he's destined for the throne. But he also knew that he was destined for the throne in God's time. And in God's way. Not his own way. You and I are destined for the throne. No one can take that away from us. But in God's time and in God's way. I want you to turn with me, if you haven't already, to the passage, 1 Samuel 24, beginning at verse 1. Here's how things stand, right at this point. Military intelligence of the king has reported to him that the radar equipment has tracked David down with pinpoint accuracy. They know exactly where he is. He's in En Gedi. So what does King Saul do? He goes out and issue a call. 3,000 of his top specialists. These were boys who were trained in tracking down people who are hiding in the rocks. It's a very rocky area. And it's easy for people to hide. But these were trained men know exactly where to find people hiding. So he comes to the cave. David is inside the cave. They're hiding in there. Now... At En Gedi, those of you who have been to Israel know that in the summertime it can get to 120 degrees in the shade. You can literally fry an egg. It is so hot. All King Saul sits down and he eats a big lunch and he gets bloated and he decides to take a siesta. It's afternoon time and he wants to sleep. So he sacks out in the coolness of the cave and some of the motley crew... David's 600 men, they look over there and they see Saul, the king, 
snoring. I mean, he was soaring logs. You can hear him on the other side of the valley. He's asleep. They said, David, here's our opportunity. Here's our chance. All you need to do is you go down there and you kill him. And visions of occupying the White House began to dance in their heads. (laughs) I mean, visions of seats of power began to become reality. Now we we can rule. Our man is going to be the king. So David gets all his advisors and his pollsters and his campaign managers and they sit down for a session. And they said, you can't take him, David. Go and take him. The royal palace is yours for the taking. In fact, what they were doing here, they're quoting the psalm, David's psalm, back to him. (laughs) In effect saying, you can end the suffering, David. You can end the hardship, David. You can end the loneliness. You can help us get back to our families. David, tonight you could be sitting on the throne of Israel. What more can you want? That's what you've been working for all your life. All it takes is a dagger. Take the dagger and go over there to sleepy soul and pin it to his heart. It's that simple, isn't it? It's very simple. It's, it's not complicated, David. Just, just all you need to do is just do it. Please hear me right. This motley crew, I think, were the first proponents of situational ethics. They were the first proponents of the end justifies the means. They were the first proponents of accomplishing results regardless of the way you accomplish them. They were very bottom line people. If you have to accomplish some good and you sin in the process, don't worry about it. It's okay. Our society is like this today, is it not? Am I telling the truth? We have come so far that we become like this group of people. If a baby is conceived at an inconvenient time, kill it. If children become inconvenient, neglect them. If God's moral absolutes get in our way, deny his existence altogether. If marriage becomes a burden, kill the marriage. If biblical morality becomes too convicting for our sinful lifestyle, rewrite the Bible. So they said, go for it, David. Kill the rascal. So David takes the dagger and he tippy toes. And you imagine just how their hearts were pounding, you know, and they were ready to shout the shout of victory. And he tippy toes and he goes down there and they said, boy, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Do you think he's going to do it? No, no, no. He probably is not going to do it. Do you think he's going to? Well, he's going to kill him. Yes. Who's going to shout first? And then David gets down there and at least in their eyes think that he chickened out. Instead of pinning the dagger in Saul's heart, it must have been a sharp dagger. He just cuts a piece of his garment while he's asleep. What is David doing? Instead of listening to their advice, he heard the voice of God. Instead of driving the dagger into Saul's heart, he hears the voice of God. Instead of caving in to the pressure of his friends, he chose to do what is right. 
Instead of giving in to the peer pressure and experience instant gratification, he decided to hear God, trust God, and obey God. No wonder he was a champion for God. It is of uttermost importance that we interpret our circumstances biblically and correctly. It is of uttermost importance not to go impulsively and do our own thing and then say, God, we thought we were just helping you out. It is of uttermost importance not to act impetuously and then say, God wants me to be happy. And then run for the first door out of your current circumstances. David could have taken vengeance, but he chose loyalty. David could have chosen revenge, but he chose restraint. David could have taken the low road of killing, but instead he chose the high road of life. You know what? I think many spouses today get impatient with each other. And the first option becomes kill the marriage. They think that they are going to get peace. They think that what they're going to do is they get fulfillment. They think what they're going to do is they get out of a trap. To their own spiritual detriment. And when Christians get impatient with God. When Christians get impatient with the plan of God for their life. When Christians get impatient with God's discipline in their life. When Christians become impatient with God's spiritual discipline in their walk. They give in. And they give in too soon to their own spiritual detriment. Children get impatient with their parents' discipline. They get impatient with their parents' rules. They get impatient with their parents' directions. And they want to get out and take life and take matters into their own hands. They can't wait to be free. To their own spiritual detriment. And possibly for spending the rest of their life in regret. I came across a letter this week. And the letter that a man wrote... To his dead father. And in the letter the man was expressing his belated love and appreciation for his dad. And the letter reads as follows. I'm going to read it if I can. Dear dad. Although you have been dead for 30 years. I feel I must say some things to you. Which I neglected to say as a boy. Only after passing through the long, hard school of life can I understand how you felt. I must have been a bitter trial to you. Oh, I was a fool, Dad. I believed in my own shallow ideas, but now realize how ridiculous they were compared with the calm, ripe, wholesome wisdom that you were trying to offer me. I want to confess my worst fault, assuming that somehow you did not understand. I know now that you did understand. You knew me better than I knew myself. Your wisdom flowed around me like the ocean around an island. How patient you were, Dad. How full of long-suffering and kindness. And how pathetic your efforts to get close to me and win my confidence. And I would not let you. What held me aloof? I don't know. 
but it was tragic. I wish I could tell you today how much I love and appreciate you. Well, Dad, it won't be long until I am over there and I believe you will be the first to take my hand and lead me up the slopes of glory. Then you will realize that not one pang of yearning spent on me was wasted. I'm so sorry for my thoughtlessness and lack of love. But praise God, I will soon meet you on the golden streets because you cared enough to pray for your wayward boy. Signed, love, your grateful son. Let me give you a piece of advice. If you ever find yourself in a situation where you're not sure, when you're not certain, or you have doubt that Satan and the enemy and the flesh is conspiring against you, stop. Ask yourself these questions. Is my action revengeful in nature? Is my heart covetous and ambitious? Am I impatient and cannot wait for God's timing? If the answer is yes, then don't do it. Wait upon the Lord. In verse 5, 1 Samuel 24, said that David's heart smote him because he cut off Saul's garment. I had to really ponder on this one. I mean, he didn't do anything wrong. They want to prove that, you know, that he is a loving guy and he just took a little piece of the garment to say, hey, Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. I mean, he's just looking for proof. But the Bible said, verse 5, his heart smote him. And I'll tell you why. Because he had a sensitive spirit. Because he had a tender conscience. Which I want to tell you, it is always a true mark of spirituality. Not how many conferences you've attended, how many retreats and how many seminars you've gone to, how many books you've read or how many sermons you preach or how many this and how many that. No. Sensitive conscience. Tender spirit. And that is a contrast between David and those folks in Ephesians of whom Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.2 and he said their consciences have been seared as with hot iron. It has become numb with sin. It has become callous with rebellion. It has become insensitive with disobedience. And I want to tell you, when people get in those situations, when their conscience have become numb and have been seared as if with iron, all the sermons in the world won't help, all the books in the world won't help, all the conferences in the world won't help, all the retreats in the world won't help, what they need to do is repent for them to become sensitive To the word of God once more. In verse 6. We have the key to David's conviction. And it is this. The key to David's conviction is this. God permitted Saul to be a king of Israel. And only God is going to take him down. Write this down. (laughs) God anointed David through Samuel at the age of 16 to be the king of Israel. David is destined for the throne. Only God is going to put him there. Not only David exercised self-control, he did even something harder. He got that motley crew to exercise (laughs) self-control. 
Alexander the Great conquered the world. But in a fit of anger, he killed his best friends. And I want to tell you that the person who controls his anger, or her anger, is greater than Alexander the Great. For the best authority is self-government. Through the power of God's Holy Spirit. Hear me right. Whatever crisis you may face, it will pass away. But what will remain is your reaction to that crisis. The person who provoked you to anger eventually will go away. But what will remain is your reaction to that individual. The situation that caused you stress will not last. But your reaction to that situation will last for your lifetime. The old covenant said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. David could have made an incredible case that Saul is his enemy. He's been trying to kill him. I mean, you couldn't get more, a worse enemy than that. He could have made a case and they said, well, I'm obeying the Old Testament. I'm, I'm obeying the covenant for his day. But David, the reason he was distinguished is because he was a man after God's own heart. The reason he was distinguished is because he understood what Jesus a thousand years later was going to say in Matthew 5.44. Love your enemies and bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them who spitefully use you. I often reflect upon the hand of God, not only in my own life. I look in the text and I said, what if? What if I disobeyed? What if I decided to go with my way? What if I, and it's very interesting, in the context of this, if you really think hard and say, what if David listened to the advice of his friends and went ahead and killed Saul? He would have been a king that night. But the least of which we would have lost are the large volume of Psalms that have blessed millions of believers for 3,000 years. They would have not been written because many of them were written at that period of his life. David's song would have been silenced. Sure, it is painful for David to wait for God's timing, but it would have been much more painful if he didn't. Sure, it is difficult to wait for the slow, unfolding purpose of God, but it would have been much harder if he took things into his own hands. David had the choice between loyalty and revenge, and he chose loyalty. David had a choice between love and hatred. He chose love. Why? Because David knew that hatred enslaves, but love liberates. David knew that hatred incarcerates, but love sets us free. David knew that anger puts you behind bars, but love and forgiveness lets you soar With this, and I'm going to conclude. George Crane tells a story of a woman who came to him with deep-seated hatred toward her husband. 
She wanted to divorce him. And she told Dr. Crane the following words. She said, I want to hurt him all I can. (laughs) And Dr. Crane said, well, I have advice for that. I want to help you to hurt him. And she took notice. He said, here's the plan. You go home and you start showering him with acts of kindness. You go home and you start showering him with compliments. And then when you become indispensable to him, start your divorce procedures. (laughs) The woman was intrigued by this kind of novel approach and, (laughs) and she followed it. She went and followed through with it. And a few months later she came back to Dr. Crane and Dr. Crane asked her how things are going. She said, everything is just going great, just according to plan. He said, now it's time to file for divorce. She said, what? Divorce? I love my husband. I'll never divorce him. David chose to shower Saul with compliments and with acts of mercy and with acts of kindness. When he could have killed him, he wouldn't do it. Now, Saul's repentance, as you read in the text, is a cheap repentance. It's, a, it's an emotional repentance. It's a, only, only crocodile tears, but that doesn't matter. God's champion is a winner. He's the one who was victorious. Love triumphed over hatred and over revenge. As I bring this message to a close, I want to ask you a question. Ask yourself... In the privacy of your own heart and your thoughts. Do you have a smoldering anger deep down in your heart? It's so deep that uh, sometimes even you're not in touch with it yourself. Do you have deep-seated resentment that you've been carrying around deep down? Do you have a a deep-seated sense of anguish? I want to tell you what to do with us today. I want you as we pray, visualize it, that you pull it out like a weed and lift it up to the Lord. Will you do that with me as we go to pray? Give it to God today. For He not only can and will empower you to love, but like a hand goes in the glove, He's going to love through you. He's going to love through you. He's going to love through me. God has done that. I testify to that. If you say to the Lord today, teach me, Lord, first of all, to dig up the weed of anger, the weed of frustration, the weed of anguish, hand it over to you, visualize it, take it out, hand it to the Lord, and say, Lord, now I want you to teach me how to love. No, love through me. I really believe the Lord would answer that prayer. Say, Lord, just like a hand goes in the glove, I want you To love through me. And he will do it. He will do it. His word said he will do it. I testify. How he does it. Again and again. Don't live your life. In anger and bitterness. Don't live your life frustrated. Don't live your life wasted. Don't waste your sorrows. Give them to the Lord now. Will you do that? Heavenly Father, as the song said, you are the searcher of our hearts. You know us through and through. We thank you for your servant David. He could have chosen revenge, but he chose love. 
and mercy and kindness. Father, we pluck out any anger that we have carried maybe for years. We pluck it out in Jesus' name right now. And daily we fill it with the love of Jesus Christ. Love through us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.